For those of you who uh, are, uh, have been to those students before, uh, welcome back. Uh, for those of you who are coming for the first time, uh, welcome to the studios. I don't think it's a, a pretty fabulous space. So, about four years ago, John made a promise to me, and he said that if we were able to build this concept that we now call the studios, which at the time was just an email, <laughs> well, between the two of us talking about different concepts, you know, he said, he said, if you're able to build the concept called Home Studios, I will activate the space and I will bring my network to Milwaukee. And, you know, I can't think of a better way to fulfill that promise than to bring Felicity Huffman.
But being a member of the studios is, is not just right, you know, putting your credit card down and being a member. You, you really need to embrace the Mill Studios community. And so the members that we have now have reached out to me. They participate. They contribute fantastic art. They contribute their craft. They're filmmakers. They embrace the community. And one of them actually came today and said, Lisa, you know, I'm going to be by the door to help receive people as part of my contribution. So this membership is really a way to express your enthusiasm and general sort of, you know, you know, wanting to embrace the concept of the of the Mill Studios community. So I hope you take advantage of that and work with me or one of my colleagues um, to become members of Mill Studios because you're about to witness a really important conversation. So with that. I'm going to leave it to John and Felicity. Do you want me to say that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we're not doing a, a traditional Q&A, so if you have a question you want to ask John and Felicity, flag me down. I have cards, and then um, write your question on it and hand it back to you. Okay. Thank you. Raise your hand. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not Milwaukee. Uh, thank you very much. Of course, thank you. This is my, well, you don't know, my sister, Lisa Caesar, who I've said before, I'll say over and over again, everything you see here, the fact that we are here, the fact that this is happening is because of Lisa, because of her forethought, because of her active work in this space to make this happen. I say all the time, this is right. People ask all the time, what does it mean to be a director? Uh, director, you just have all these ideas in your head and they're really wonderful, and you have to make other people actually go and do them and execute them. And that's what Lisa did. Also, our younger sister, Beth, who was very involved. Um, uh, Sylvia, right here, who is, uh, has been my longtime publicist and friend, and also is promoting this uh, amazing space and working with artists and artisans here in Milwaukee and around the country to activate the space. What, what they had uh, was here uh, last week. It was absolutely wonderful. We had a film. We had a uh, uh, women's filmmakers summit that was here. We believe uh, if Beale Street could talk, is going to be coming uh, soon. Uh, hopefully, Barry will be coming as well. We're not sure, but the film will be here. I've already seen it. It's spectacular, as one would expect from Barry Jenkins. That's going to be playing probably in the theater behind you, the screening room, which is the Terry and John Ridley screening room. John is here. Terry is not here, but she'll be here later. Um, really, just to say that uh, this project for us is not just something that we're doing remotely. This is something that we're doing because we want to be here. We want to make a difference. We love Milwaukee. Um, this is a city where we were born and raised. Our parents still live here. Our younger sister, her kids, one of them, I right here. Um, it's a great city, but like a lot of cities, there are problems, there are issues. What do we want to do? We want exactly what is happening here today. Outstanding talent and individuals who are coming to talk and speak and to inspire, but also, again, I say this every time I'm here, which I'm happy to say has been a lot, um, 
Look around, just take a minute, seriously, look around this room. Look around. Look at the kinds of folks, the kinds of demographics, the kinds of people who have come together in service of community, in service of art, in service of storytelling. Unfortunately, in Milwaukee, this isn't the kind of grouping that we see on a regular basis, and there's no reason that we should not see this. We just, um, we had some young journalists who were here, we just screened a short film that I had not seen previously about the Milwaukee Excellence Charter School here, and the teacher uh, was from Milwaukee and left and came back, and he had a, they had a mantra. I mean, first of all, what he was doing is ensuring that every child gets the education that they deserve. And part of art, is for people to see that in a way that it impacts them, not just an intellectual conversation, hey, every child deserves something, to see it, to see these children, to see people interacting, to feel something. And what the teacher said in there is, I came back. I'm sorry about Milwaukee, I came back. And I really think that needs to be the mantra for all of us. Either I came back because we went away, but Milwaukee is important enough that we need to engage, or it's not, I came back, I gave back. What, what we give everybody in here, I don't know everybody's circumstances, but if you have the capacity to join us on an afternoon, the circumstances are probably pretty good. Not great, not perfect, but probably pretty good. So everybody in this room has the capacity to give back. And giving back means sometimes giving and doing, participating. As Lisa said, sometimes it's just showing up and hey, you're a little understaffing, can I help you at the door? Can I do something? Um, I have some art that I want to share. Uh, I have a story that I want to tell. That's what this space is about. Connectivity, community, inspiring, and doing. You know, we can talk about it, we can feel that in our heart, we can intellectualize it, but we can do it. And I'm so happy that the first time that we're doing it is with, you know, I thought about how, how do I induce publicity? And there are a lot of ways to introduce it. Academy Award nominee, uh, Emmy winner, Emmy nominee, Golden Globe uh, winner. Uh, but I'm very happy, mostly, on uh, behalf of my wife, who's also here, and myself, to just be able to introduce her as our friend. Um, she's an amazing person, I think you know that. Uh, not just as a performer, but also as a person, as Lisa said, as an activist. Um, but someone who really cares about the quality of work. It's not just about doing the job, doing it well, and part of things. So Felicity and I, we, we've gotten to know each other very, very well. Um, I think rather than a formal interview or things like that, we just want to kind of talk, we'll hopefully joke, hopefully it'll be in a funny way, as opposed to a non-funny way, but um, really just have a conversation about art, about life, about how we both sort of got here. Uh, in the interim, if you do have a question, please write it down. Give it to Sylvia, Sylvia will give it to us. Um, but really just, uh, this is really what I wanted to do, is bring the, the, the cool people that I've met, the talented people, and just be able to say, let's go hang out in this space, and let's just have a chat, let's just meet people. And you know, in the tween time, that's all I ask, is just that you interact with the folks that are here, if you have the opportunity to talk with Felicity, just, you know, it's, it's a cool thing. It's not about fiction, movie, or this or that. It's just, I love spending time with 
Felicity. I had opportunity to spend time with her husband Bill and her other famous friends like David Mamet. I mean, people just try to be cool and not let your head explode. And you're like, oh, I didn't. Yeah, right too. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um, but that's what I love. It's just that sense that all of us, if you're in here, we're, we're, we're all in this together. And nobody's getting you know, that art. There's no better or best. I know at the end of the year, everybody likes to hand out best this or that. That's not really what art is about. It's about having that opportunity to be in a room with other people that you never thought you'd be anywhere near. So with that, I'm going to stop. We're going to just start chatting. You have a mic maybe behind you. Maybe you can Yeah. Um, and just have a conversation. So I don't really know where to start. I want to start because I want to say I want to join. I want to join this. So after I'm done, I want to join. And also, you guys have the friendliest city I have ever experienced. It's so I, I keep thinking people are about to ask me out. They're so friendly. I, I, I passed a couple in the hallway, and they went, hey, how you doing? And I went, <laughs> so it's really good, Jen. I had no idea these places existed. So I'm so happy to have the city open up to me, and it's just beautiful. So I want to join and come and hang out. Thank you. Well, you will process your membership. <laughs> this is way too to apply. Is it like the Soho house where you might get in and you might not? We have actually, that's a good conversation to start. We don't, you know, there's a place in, in LA, it's called, well, it's actually all over right now, and it's called Soho House, and it sort of started with the same sort of concept of it's about artists, and it's exploded into something else, and they do still have that sense of like, hey, we really kind of want to vet the people who join. Now, the vetting process has kind of turned into just like a rubber stamp. Um, we don't vet in that regard, by the way. We, we just want, all what we'll vet for is are you a good person? You know, are you a person who is interested in things beyond yourself? Um, do you care about the arts? Are, 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 you, are, you, are you decent? And that's really about the only thing that we care about, are, are, are folks decent? One of the things, and this may be a transition to talking about what we do, you know, um, I, I love working in entertainment. I, I think clearly you do. But, um, listen, there's, there's, there's barely a job out there in the world that isn't tough. They all are. Um, but I think what gets associated with entertainment is that it's glamorous, it's red carpets, it's all really, really terrific, and that is a big part of it. But um, the minimum day in television and on film sets is 12 hours. You know, that is your minimum day is a 12-hour day. And oftentimes it goes longer than that. Oftentimes, you know, the situation, we thought we were going to film here, but this set fell through, um, this actor got sick, and we had to replace it. It's just, it's nuts and it's crazy. It's one of the things I love is an environment where people come into it knowing that no matter what goes wrong, we're in it together and we're going to figure it out. And it may get tough and people may get out of sorts, but it's out of sorts in the sense that we're going to solve a problem. And one of the things that coming into when I had the opportunity to work with you and Tim Hutton and Lily Taylor and Gina King. Um, I had the opportunity to work with people who had been doing this their entire lives at a very high level and came to the door with leadership. And that was really, really wonderful because when I when you and I met in American Crime, you know, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know, but uh, here's perhaps a fun fact that maybe we'll involved in that story. The first person that I met the day after I got the little award that they handed yeah, out. Yeah, all the Academy Award. Yes, <laughs> 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 
for 12 years a slave. Um, was Felicity Huffman. Was the first person I met. We were doing American Crime. And we can get into the, uh, the perspectives of that story. But when I sat down with Felicity, Felicity, you are one of the most precise, prepared, insightful, knowledgeable actors that I've ever met. I actually just finally worked with a young actress who reminded me of you in that regard. But I left that meeting thinking, you know, what, whatever may have happened the night before was already history. I was getting ready to go down to Texas and work with the best of the best actors, and if I was not prepared and I wasn't uh, on point, I was not going to get through that circumstance. So the, the best thing that could happen to me, in my opinion, was meeting you that next morning and not getting on a plane going, ah, I got an award, everybody loves me, but yesterday was yesterday. If I'm going to work with top flight actors, I better know what I'm doing to live. That was my take on that meeting. And I just felt so bad that the morning after you won the Academy Award, you had to meet with some middle-aged, thin-lipped white woman <laughs> and have bad coffee. I was like, super sorry, dude. You should be in bed. But it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. I want to talk about your, because you are a very precise actor, and you um, you worked with some of the best wordsmiths in the world. When, for you, when you started working at a very young age, I think your first job job was maybe an after school special on ABC <laughs> back in the day. Oh, yeah, I've done a video. When did you know that? You thought acting was not something that you just wanted to do, but it was going to be a lifestyle because it's a it's a lifestyle. It's not something one of those randomly falls in out of. You certainly treat it like a lifestyle. You know, I was I was trained by David Mamet, who's a playwright and a very precise playwright. So um, I was trained by someone in college who said um, the actor's job is to fulfill the playwright's intention. Which is very different than the actor's job is to feel it and be famous and figure out what you had for breakfast. Yeah, I'd love some water too. Um, so he instilled in all of his students that it was a craft, um, and you should you should apply you should be a journeyman. You should apply it as if you were learning carpentry, um, and you should be as assiduous as you are with any craft. And if art happens to descend from the views above, well, then you're super lucky. But it's really not your job. Your job is to do the work. Um, so I guess I, I started applying that when I was, um, you know, in my in my 20s. And then I, I married an actor. I love actors. Um, I've only married one so far. <laughs> And we talk about the craft of acting a lot. So I, I do take it seriously. I, I have the motto that hard work um, makes up for lack of talent. And in my case, that is certainly the truth. Um, and so I just work really hard because, um, because I think it's really, a, I think it's a noble profession. I think. The truth of the human soul is something that we all want to touch or express, whether it's through writing or acting or or truly doing great haircuts or whatever your thing is. I mean, I think we're, thank you so much. It's we want to reach out and, and, um, and connect and bring 
understanding and bring empathy and bring joy and all those things. And that, that's what I want to do. At least that's what I attempt to do. Um, now I've totally forgotten what your question is. <laughs> <laughs> it was about for you at an early age. You, you were acting, acting at a high level at an early age. You know, you were, I mean, after school special back in the day was a big deal. Um, you were on Broadway doing a mammoth play, replacing a, a, a big star at that time, a, a huge star, maybe not a great actor, but still a huge star was on stage with Stephen Plow. So at a very young age, you're not only doing a play, you're not only doing a play on Broadway, you're doing a play by one of the great American writers. How do you walk into a space where the if it fails, it's it's not a dinner theater in Jupiter, Florida. You're failing literally on the big stage, but having the wherewithal to say, well, it doesn't matter what other people think because I have the capacity to bring my best work irrespective of what other people think about it. Gosh, it would be great if I had that whole mindset. I think I just got the job and I was like, oh, well, fuck it up. I really think it's about uh, training, which is, we just saw this wonderful piece about, as you said, the excellence. Charter. Um, it's about training. I was trained by someone who said, never read the reviews. Someone who said, I don't believe in audience talkbacks after a play. You guys get to leave with your experience and we get to leave with ours. And after having a few audience talkbacks where they're like, yes, and they go, why were you so bad? So, oh, this is why David said not to talk that. Um, that, you know, you do your work and you do your work to your best of your ability, and then you go home and you work with people who inspire you, who are better than you, you know, the level of your fame raises if you, if you act or be directed or produce or whatever it is with people who are better than you. So, in a funny way, it's about keeping your eyes down and your heart open. I would agree that working with people who are better than you make you better. I know I'm pointing the finger this way when I say that. One of the things that, one of the great things about doing American Crime, um, if you haven't seen it, uh, I would encourage you to watch it, not just because I was involved in it, but because of the story, the performances, the writers that we had in the writers' room really reflected America. Um, we had a great ensemble cast, and it was such a large ensemble that even though they were great actors, they may only shoot you know, one or two days out of the week may only have one substantial scene. And the thing about Felicity, it didn't matter whether she had you know, 20 pages of work or half a page of work, we would do the read-through. Every week before you shoot, you do a, a read-through. So everybody can sit down and go through the script and hear it out loud and what works and what doesn't work, and everybody's familiar with it. And right after the read-through, no matter how big a part Felicity had that week, she would be the first person, John, John, I've got to talk to you. And her script was noted, and arrows, and writing, and post-its. You know, and I'm like, listen, you got two lines this week. <laughs> but I, I've never been around someone who went at the work of doing the work to have some understanding of what was going on. And talk about making one better. Every week I knew that I what, no, but whatever was going on, I had to have a very complete understanding of that scene. Not in favor of Felicity or, no, 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 it's all about you, but whatever it was, you know, Felicity had the same questions if she knew that she was passive in that scene. 
um, if she knew that she was driving that scene, if she knew that it was just about her having a, a, a reaction on her face in that scene, the level of notes and details were the same. There weren't notes like, I don't want to do it, but why is this happening? What is the intent here? What, what is the, you know, the, things like, uh, the things that you would talk about, uh, when, when you would talk about um, the, uh, it wasn't the, the super objective, although you did use that okay. term, um, every once in a while, um, but, but we're talking about agency and ownership and things like that. And there were all these phraseology, I didn't come up in the theater, that you had that were absolutely, in some ways, they were mind-boggling because I knew that we were going to get these questions and I really didn't have any good answer for them. But at the same time, making sure that I could justify everything that was on the page. Not that any actor would agree with what was going on, but understanding as a writer, I could justify what was going on. And as long as I could justify them to you or Tim or anybody else, um, everything was really, really good. But it made me understand that as a writer, it wasn't enough to just write things, but that you really ended up understanding why. And by the way, be able to communicate why I put it on the page. And I think that made the show so much better every step of the way. When you talk about reviews and things like that, I, you know, we, as artists, we often say, oh, I don't, I, I don't read reviews. Um, I really don't read reviews. Did you ever? I, I, did, I did early on, but it was the same thing with David Mann. And to me, the thing about reviews is it wasn't, you know, the good ones are kind of, useless because, you know, it's like laying in the poppy fields. Is that what you want to do with the rest of your life, is read that like, review over and over again? Yes. The bad ones, <laughs> I, I found that the worst. I found that very bad. Um, you know, I just, they, yeah, they sound great, they're wonderful, but they're not helpful. The bad ones were sometimes painful. I think I was fortunate that they were, you know, they were, I mean, people would, disagree or, or not like it, but they were, they were pretty kind. I never really had the ones that I would read early on. There came a time when I read a review that was good, but they missed the entire point. They were talking about things that were not even there, and I'm like, this is worse than a bad review because you're praising things that don't exist, and you missed my intent. And sometimes, at least for me, the work that I do, it's not about people liking or disliking, it's about having to endure what I'm putting in front of you and deal with it. And, you know, bad review, fine. You, did you say my name? Great. That, that, you know, that's all that matters. What do you mean it's about having to endure? Sorry to interrupt. Um, there are things that I've done that people get angry about, but I didn't, I'm not here to support your biases. I'm not here for you to be comfortable. I'm, I'm not here for you to like American Crime. You know, we did American Crime, I never thought about I think the reason it worked is that every single person during the pilot thought, well, this is never going on here. I mean, there was, to a person, everyone would say, oh my god, this is such a great show. This is so sad. Nobody's ever going to see it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. Yeah. When, when you left, didn't you feel like, yeah. I remember, um, by the way, I can tell this story. I'm going to get back to my point in a minute, but I remember sitting down with your husband, Bill, who, Bill Macy, if you don't know, who is, you know, he's, he's unbelievable. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say. The two of you are, I mean, honestly, you're unbelievable, you're great people, you're, and ironically, I'm going to get to a point, but I keep finding these rabbit holes. 
So one of the things, I grew up in Milwaukee, obviously, and you know, Hollywood was this thing so far away and I'm never going to be involved and I'm never going to be part of it. And then you get out there and you're like, you still feel like you're on the other side of the velvet rope. Then one day, not only does something change and you feel like you're part of it, but Felicity and Bill were like parents at our school with our kids. And so you go from like, oh my God, I wish I could meet Felicity one day. Felicity, could you move your car, please? <laughs> Yeah, you mean great move. Um, so we were at a dinner, a fundraiser for the school. I never met Bill before. We were sitting at the same table. I'm just trying to be cool because it's it's Bill Macy, and you just you know, try to be a peer. And Bill's wonderful. He said, "Look, I saw the pilot of American Crime. It's absolutely amazing. It's terrific. What you've done is phenomenal." It's really too bad you guys aren't going to be able to do that on a basis. <laughs> and my jaw just dropped. I said, you know, and I'm like a, an eight-year-old. I'm like, no, I think we could probably do it. We, yeah, there's no way. We could do that. <laughs> so that was a little tough and a little daunting. But um, I think what made it work was that sense that we were doing something that it didn't matter what other people liked. And this was going back to your question about enduring. And I'm going to get back to my point about um, reviews. Um, we, we did American Crime, all of us, I think, because it was in the wake of Trayvon Martin. It was in the wake of people not rooting for um, justice, but for an outcome based on their perspective, and not really caring about the people involved. And even some of those people, I, I have no true empathy for, but I know that they're damaged in a way that they did something that then had a horrible cascade effect, and how did they become that way? How did they become damaged? How did they get to a point where um, they couldn't see a person, they couldn't see a kid on their way home, and thought that they had to do something that, you know, they weren't even a police officer. I'm not excusing what happened sometimes with police officers. They weren't even a cop having to make a split-second decision. They were somebody who thought that they had the right to dispense justice. And so we're talking about these things, and to me, American Crime wasn't, hey, if you like the show or dislike it, you need to endure it. And if you have a problem with it and it's painful for you, well, guess what? What do you think it's like for the families? What do you think it's like for the people in these communities? You know, and season two, same thing. I don't, it's not about whether you like the show or not. You need to, if you dislike it, what do you think it's like for people going through that circumstance? That, to me, was the point. Same thing with 12 years, same thing with Gorilla, same thing with the majority of things I do. I, um, it, it's turned out, oddly, that a lot of people do like it, but um, the majority of you know people, it gets tiring and people are offended by it, but I'm not here to be liked. You know, I hope as a person that you like me, I hope as a person you all like me, but the things I put in the space are not to be liked, they're to be endure or wrap your head around. I am doing a happy thing with it. Um, but Did you say they're to be endured or they're to be experienced and digested? I mean, do you actually want the experience to be part and for endurance to be a part of it? Um, to a degree, yes. American Crime, Gorilla, 12 Years a Slave, I think are wonderful pieces, but you don't, you know, you know, the way you sit down on a, you know, you know, Desperate Housewives of the show from Joy. They went through all these machinations, but you know, we were, hey, Desperate Housewives is on, what are they going to do? It's really terrific and fun. 
And um, I don't know how you make a film about slavery that is, you know, in, enjoyable. You should endure it. People endured that. Uh, gorilla. People endured it. People lost their minds about certain things. But I'm like, you know, that's fine. What do you think it was like at that time period? So it is endured. Um, it is, you can come out at the end of that and have an enjoyment or an experience or a communal experience. Um, but I never went into 12 years thinking that it was going to be a pleasant two hours. I never thought American crime was going to be pleasant. I never wanted it to be pleasant per se. I remember when we had the table read, I think it was episode eight, and we actually read the joke in, and Tim delivered a joke, and everybody at the, at the table read was like, oh my god, episode eight, somebody wrote a joke in American crime. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it is. I think my point is that you need to endure this. Somehow that's worked for me. It's not populist, it's not necessarily popular in the traditional sense, but it is, um, it is about you need to, to go through this space. So now I want to, since we're talking about American crime, we're talking about reviews and things like that, and not How reading reviews. So far, are you guys with us? Do you want to go in a different direction? Do you want to talk about boys and clothes or anything? No. Okay. All right, ready? Go ahead. I'm going to do this, and then we can take it in a different way. Is this about me? I yeah, don't know. It's about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to be reviews, and I, we were going to talk. I wanted to be yeah, prepared. Yeah, reviews. A guy. So I went on your Wikipedia page. Oh, jeez. And um, I read a review, which I had not read before. For what? This is American Crime Season 1. Okay. Um, <laughs> Felicity played a character, Barb Hamlin, who uh, was probably one of the most complicated people you could play. She exists. Yes, yes, she does. And she could have been a very one-note, one-dimensional, strong person. When I say strong person, it's somebody you set up so you can knock them down and make your point. Well, you can knock them down. Which happens with some writers. I don't particularly like that style of writing, but it happens. Anyway, so I never read this review before. And this was in USA Today, which is the most read publication in America. Uh, uh, American Crime is a reconfirmation that Felicity Huffman is one of the best actors we have. In no case is that more true, truer, than Huffman's Barb, Barb Hamlin, which played in the first season, who is the morally questionable center of the story. Barb is a lifetime movie heroine. Stay with me for a second. <laughs> a tough divorced mother who raised her children alone and is fighting now to bring her son's murder to justice. Except, this isn't that kind of show. And Barb's battles have not just made her stronger, they've made her hate all the people she felt she had to fight, which is why Huffman's gut-wrenching performance is so startling. A bundle of barely concealed fury, Huffman forces us, this is what I thought about Endure, forces us to invest in a woman who thinks through bigotry, makes her not just right, but noble. Forces us to invest in someone that a lot of us, myself, would probably disregard. It's one thing to write something like that. It's another thing to perform it. How do you take a character that on the surface would be so easily, um, be so easy for an audience to reject? By the way, was the first, the result of that amazing performance of the first of three consecutive 
that's adequate nominations for anything that you see in American crime. Unbelievable. I could not imagine being part of a run like that. But how do you bring humanity to a person that a lot of us would say there's no human, there's no soul, there's nothing to invest in. But if we don't, it's, it, it's easy to invest in people who are like-minded, but sometimes, as painful as it is, in some regard, investing in the people who need to be changed, who need to see that the world is a different place, who needs to see that privilege is not provided, it must be earned. How do you create a character that you can relate to and not uh, cheer on in the sense that, oh, look, she's, you know, she represents that, that middle ground. At the same time, we see that there is a person in there, and if we do something, we can bring that humanity out. Maybe, not with everybody, but some of those individuals. I, I, I'm going to repeat myself for a second. I think what's wonderful about the theater of film is that it brings, at best, it brings understanding, which then brings empathy, and then hopefully brings unity to someone that that you would otherwise not know or be judgmental about or prejudice or anything like that. Um, so as an actor, the first thing you've got to figure out is how to endorse that character, um, how you can bring your truth um, to playing that, because you can't just play a bigot or you can't just play a racist or or, or someone brittle. I mean, you can, but then as John says, the audience gets to go, oh, fantastic, bad guy, next. And that doesn't bring unity um, or understanding. So, um, Barb was a great example. I read the script, I loved the script. I got slipped the script, because I couldn't get the script from a friend of mine. I was like, can I have that script? It went through back channels. And um, I turned to my husband and I said, I don't know how to play this person because I don't like this person. I, I don't want to have dinner with this person. I'm sorry that these people exist. And he said, this person, you've got to find one thing that you can endorse and don't look back. It's blinders on. She's doing one thing. And what is that one thing? She is bringing justice for her son. She is a mother bringing justice for her son, period. So it doesn't matter what color you are, what political party you're at, I think everyone goes, oh man, I understand that. And even if you watch it, I, I would hope that you could have empathy for her. You wouldn't want to have dinner with her. But you would have empathy for her. Um, and I think that's, that's an actor's job. And you know, I think a lot of times, and I'm, I'm jumping over the line here, but in, I feel like what was different about 12 Years a Slave and in, in some historical films about slavery, I don't find this. And I think it's such an uncomfortable subject for our country that when a film gets made, that they go, okay, great, so the white people are bad and black people are good. And it gives us an escape, at least as a white person, to go, well, that's okay because I'm not a bad white person. And I, it makes it two-dimensional, and I think it cheapens the whole story, and it makes it one a part of our past, and it doesn't make us a shared history. It doesn't make something that we are all responsible for. And that's what I really appreciated with 12 Years a Slave. So to circle back, that's what you've got to do as an actor. You've got to make it something that someone can go, wow, I understand that, I have empathy for that, I don't want to be that. And that was the takeaway, and that was the remarkable thing in that first season was 
And it was across the board, you know, it was uh, Tim's character, Russ, just this broken down ex-gambler father who just cost literally and figuratively that family everything, but you saw him trying to, to be that good dad, going through those fits and starts. Regina's character, who was just this devout Muslim American woman, by the way, he's even putting a Muslim American woman on television in 2014, was, you know, I mean, to me it felt like a little bit, but people were just both praiseful and sometimes their heads would explode. But putting everybody on equal foot, nobody was good, nobody was bad, nobody was right, nobody was wrong. But that's the way life is. And sometimes if we slow down and get out of ourselves, then we start to see these little bits of change. So um, I think it was Roger Ebert, right? Stolen this line so many times that, you know, uh, entertainment at its best is just an apparatus for delivering input And as much as I appreciate streaming services and the future of uh, technology that's going to allow so many different people who didn't have access before to tell stories. Um, again, one of the things that I love about this space is just this shared communal experience. There's nothing better than that. That's what you get in theater. That's what you get in film. I love television, but we are moving away from those moments where at least you went back to work and everybody had seen Seinfeld. Everybody had seen Desperate Housewives. You know, everybody would talk about, oh, what did they do yesterday? Those kinds of shared communal experiences, and that to me is what makes art wonderful. And it doesn't have to just be painful art. You know, you look at Get Out, you know, things like that, um, Girls Trip, Crazy Rich Asians. You know, the one great thing that we see now is that Hollywood is finally so desperate for ideas that they're finally starting to realize, oh, there are all these other communities and they have money and they want to see themselves. Well, let's do more of that. You know, uh, it, it's, it's little and it's late, but it is happening. And what I love, and one of the things that's really difficult for me right now is um, I'm, I'm very appreciative that, that there are folks at Netflix and other places who are like, hey, we'd love to do something with you. But to me, there's just you know, something about earning out and something about people voting with their dollars. And you know, Crazy Rich Asians could have been wonderful on Netflix, but the fact that you know, it had the slightest weekly drop in box office since Titanic. I think the weekly drop was like 25% that first week, which is like unheard of in, in Hollywood. You know, even the big films, and part of it because they opened big, but you know, 50, 60% drop is normal. 25% is unheard of. And the following week, it was like 32%. Um, you know, things like Beauty and the Beast, which he has a Disney thing, but you know, you have female protagonists at the heart of it and young girls going to see young girls. And those Disney princess films have shifted. They're still, yes, princess films, but they're very proactive young ladies. Um, so all of those things matter, and, and voting with dollars matter. So I'm happy for the future with streaming, because you do see films that you don't, uh, that Hollywood doesn't make anymore, sadly. But I think there is a value in audiences going out and actually paying their money and being in the theater, and the people up top going, wait, what? Girls trip? Out index, you know, whatever, on solo or something? Well, we need more girls trips. You know, night school, we need more of those things. That's what we need to see more of, and, and that's what I really appreciate about the communal experience. So when I talk about it, you know, for me personally, I've just found a space where whatever, enduring or making it tough, it just it allows me to do the things that I do, but I'm all in favor. Whatever it is that your audience is out, Whatever it is that gets non, we call non-traditional audiences, but to me it's reflective. 
because it reflects the real world, it reflects the people in this room. It's reflecting, like, you know, to me, non-traditional, traditionally disenfranchised. You know, there's a slight negative connotation. It, it speaks to a reality, but I like to say things that are more realistically reflective. It reflects who we are, and if we really are reflective, and I, and I say this hopefully in a communal sense, you know, really um, when we are, you know, affirmative action technically is including a straight white male in what you're doing because they are the minority. Um, they, the power of family culture, but if we were really reflective, you know, 68% of the films we had would star women and be made by women. And one of the things I'm very proud of, and I say this more about Michael McDonald, not that Michael McDonald, Michael McDonald, um, the non-singing Michael McDonald, who's our other producer on our show, and um, one of the things when we were doing the first season of American Crime, and Michael, you know, I think I'm emotional and you're very emotional. Michael McDonald was like on 12 on the emotion chart. <laughs> and he, we were just setting the show up. He burst in my office and he said, John, we have got to make a priority to have female directors on this show. We have got to. I said, you know, Mike, we had to get John. Um, <laughs> and I really have to say, over a run of American Crime, 90% of the directors on our show were female and women of color. And uh, it was amazing. Among the people like Rachel Morrison, who is the DP on Black Panther, um, Nikki Cassell, who is now directing Watchmen on HBO, Vic Mahoney, who is doing Second Unit on uh, on the new Star Wars. You know, we we and, and I'm not saying we, Michael McDonald made that space. You know, the actors who were unbelievable in creating an environment where, also being a television director weekly is it's like the worst job in Hollywood. It's horrible. It's really bad. It's just not a, a space, just because of everything that goes into being a weekly episodic director, it's just not a very good environment. And I think we did everything that we could to say, bring some art, bring some artistry, um, make a story. Um, you know, it, it's tough because you kind of got to make it fit in the sandbox, but within that sandbox, you have everything you can. Um, Kim Pierce, who directed The Boys Don't Cry, is a director of our show. We just had an amazing, one of the great things, and the majority of our writers and our writers, the majority of our producers on our show were women or people of color. The majority of people in critical decision-making positions on our show were women and people of color. So the great thing for us, and one of the reasons Felicity got very mad because in season three I was kind of stepping back. I was trying to step back. It was like ghosting. What? Goodbye. Good luck with that, Felicity. Yeah, take your notes to somebody else. Felicity. Good luck with that. But um, we had such a really amazing group of people who had proven themselves, proven their worth, um, who were really going to go off and do wonderful things. So young Kim, who made this amazing little film in between days. By the way, So Young Kim's film is on Filmstruck, so we don't not lying on it. Uh, but that's the kind of talent that we have around us. And by season three, it was just a relief that not only to step back, but to step back to people who were absolutely phenomenal. That's it. Oh. I guess that's it. Is that how we're in? Yeah, that's how we're in. So the the movies. Movies. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. All right. All right.